Hey, my name is Dwight, one of the pastors of Church 21, and I'm recording this because yesterday I preached a couple different times, one in NDG, one downtown, and both of those were uh, not able to be recorded. So because we're doing this Rule of Life series, we thought it'd be really important to make sure we had a good audio of what we're, what we're going through. And so, uh, so this is going to be week one uh, sermon. And, you know, just to lower expectations, I'm not going to be preaching this out. I'm sitting in front of my computer. Uh, I have my notes in front of me, and I'm just going to be slowly working through the content uh, like we did. Uh, so if you were live in person and you heard this, you know, we're missing some of the illustrations, um, but that, that's okay. And so really excited to be doing this. Um, the reality is, is that we all have a rule of life. The introduction, which is also available um, on the podcast, that walks us through what a rule of life is. Um, we, we all have a rule of life, and that's reality. Because the rule of life is a set of rhythms and practices that guide us forward. So this could be you wake up in the morning, you drink coffee or water or whatever it is that you do. Uh, you might read a little bit. You might do a wordle. You might go exercising, you might eat, you might go to work, whatever. We all have a rule of life because the rule of life is really a set of rhythms and practices that guide us forward. And maybe your rule of life is healthy and really intentional, or maybe your rule of life is unhealthy and not so intentional. So what we want to do during this series is not just fill our summer. Um, This wasn't because we had nothing else to, to preach about, so we came up with this thing. And also, by the way, this is not a uh, something that Jordan Peterson came up with. Uh, those are rules of life. This is also not something that our staff came up with to figure out what's the one rule that we can impose on everyone in the church and make them follow that rule. The rule really is to, like I said, it's a set of rhythms and practices that guide us forward. Um, and what we want to do is we want to take the summer to uh, be able to develop these these intentional rules of life where we're rearranging life for maximum joy in Christ and usefulness or effectiveness for his desires that we want for our rule of life not to be for our ends to be enjoyed necessarily but for his intended purposes to be accomplished and in that we find great joy in him and in being uh, effective uh, for his purposes that that's really why we're made we're not made to save up for retirement or rnsp uh, we're not made to work really hard and, and rest later. Uh, we're, we're made uh, to live all of our life for maximum joy in Christ and maximum effectiveness for his desires. We really want to live as he intends. And so as we're looking at this rule of life, number one, we have a workbook that we want to uh, provide you with. Um, and we have that if, if you're listening to this now. Uh, what, is, what is the date? It's G- July. I almost said January, not January. July seventeenth uh, was when we had our gathering, two thousand twenty-two. This is July eighteenth, two thousand twenty-two. And so we have uh, physical copies. We had them printed of uh, a Rule of Life workbook, so that you can be working through all the material. Also, I believe the link is church21.ca/slash. Rule of Life, you can go on that and you can find a digital copy of this because once these initial copies are gone, we're not going to print more as a church, but you can print your own um, digital digital ones. So um, a- as we're going through this Rule of Life, though, it's going gonna, it's gonna to involve prayerfully removing and replacing. There's no way of getting around that. You can't expect to change life without changing your life. If you want to live a more healthy lifestyle in terms of food, well, you're going to have to change some of the stuff that you you eat. You want to uh, consume less social media, well, you're going to have to change habits uh, around that.
but we need to understand that having a rule of life is not the end in and of itself. It's it's like a gateway into something greater. It's supposed to um, it's supposed to push us into having this this joy in Christ and, and effectiveness that we were talking about. Uh, well, before we get into everything this morning as well, I just want to also say we, we really don't want for you or or us as as staff and leaders, we don't want to waste our lives. We want to utilize every moment as much as we are possibly able to do so uh, to be effective and to find great joy. And so, um, so I want to start out this post-sermon sermon with beautiful news for our disordered hearts and lives. So let me read from Ephesians 3. Ephesians is a book in the New Testament, uh, a letter written to the church in, in Ephesus from a guy named named Paul, and what you might be hearing is actual pages turning. I'm actually turning pages in the Bible to get to this place. So Ephesians 3, really 14 to 21, is this beautiful prayer, but I'm going to break in halfway through in verse 19. Here's the beautiful news. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. It's an outstanding verse. It, it actually doesn't make sense. I think yesterday I used the word bonkers. It's, it's kind of just wild to think that, that Paul is praying this, but he's praying this so that we would experience it, that we would know the love of Christ, and, and not just know intellectually, but to, to experientially know this, and that this, this surpasses knowledge, which means that you are not going to live long enough to, uh, to know the fullness of the love of God. In fact, it's going to take all of eternity for you to mine the depths of the fullness of God. And so we start the series with this simple statement that you can't be more loved by God than you are right now. The only thing you can do is experience it more. It's like saying um, the reality that you can't be more in Montreal. You can't be any more in Montreal than you are right now if you're actually in Montreal. Uh, that's those are the statements I made yesterday because I was in Montreal and still in here. But it's, it's really all about exploring and enjoying the reality of what Montreal is. You can't, you can't be more in it than you already are. It's now experiencing it more. And that's, that's what Paul is praying for, that you, you would experience the love that God has for you. And God made you for joy. God made you for joy. That as we understand and experience and swim in this love, we, we find great joy because joy is ultimately relational happiness. Joy is relational. Though the feelings can happen when, when we're alone, uh, joy ultimately is relational. I went on a trip uh, last week to Toronto, and I was away from my, my wife. And when I'm away from my wife, I actually take time to meditate on her and what I enjoy about her and, and how I love her and care about her and can't wait to be back with her and that that joy carries me back into um into montreal and it allows for our relationship to continue on and for that joy to continue on even though we're not there in person but joy joy is absolutely relational and joy can't exist in isolation it can't there's a part of the our, our brain that experiences joy and that's the the non-verbal right side and i didn't say very much about the the neurological realities that go into this yesterday, and I won't say much about it today, but relational circuitry happens in our brains. The deepest introvert is longing for joy. We were made to crave joy, and we see that, that we have a God that desires joy 
as well in Hebrews, um, Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verse 1 and 2, though verse 2 of that passage is the one that I really want to point out. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance a race that is set before us. Here it is, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so as Jesus is moving toward the cross, he's thinking about the relational happiness that he has with the Father, because we believe that in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, yet one God. My mind is hurting right now, I know. It's simple enough for children to understand and yet complicated enough for deepest theologians that if they meditate on that too hard, their brain probably explodes. Uh, We can't fully understand our creator in every way, shape, and form, and that should cause us to worship. And as Jesus is thinking about his relationship with the Father, he is thinking about the relational happiness that he has with him. And as he thinks about us, he's thinking about what he's doing, going through the cross, going through the pain, going through the suffering, going through the separation, going through the wrath of God falling onto him for us. And he has joy because he sees the relational happiness that is going to be procured for us. And Jesus then invites us in. Jesus went to the cross on our behalf so that we could actually have relationship with God. You and I have this this issue, rebellion, sin, iniquity, transgression. We have this condition that we can't cure on our own. Religion can't cure it. Um, We can't cure it. No one can cure it for us except Jesus. And Jesus went to the cross and died in our place and rose procuring for us this eternal joy and this eternal love that we could explore and experience forever. In John 15, Jesus says uh, something around joy that's very profound. It says this, John 15, verse 9 to 12. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, and listen to this, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. And this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. That Jesus doesn't want to give us a joy, but he wants to give us his joy. He wants to give us his joy. Now, joy really requires three things. There's a fantastic book called Building Balance by Marcus Warner. And he talks about the ABCs of joy. He says these three things have to be present if joy is going to be experienced. And the first one is appreciation. So A, appreciation. Do you stop and, and, and dwell on the, on the goodness of who God is and what he's done for you? Do you stop and, and dwell and enjoy that? That idea of dwelling carries with it the idea of almost like camping, that, that you get out of normal the normal and you go and and you camp out somewhere and you stay there and you allow for that place to impact you and deep joy is is coming from from that do you stop and do that do you appreciate who god is and what he's done because when appreciation is moving in us we're going to share that with others aren't we and as we as we appreciate who god is and what he's done and who we are and we're amazed by that it's going to help us to fight the discontentment and the envy that so easily 
uh, creeps up in our life. We're constantly being shown in, in our world what, what we lack. We're constantly seeing discontentment. But if we just buy that product or subscribe to this thing or try and be this person, then we'll truly find contentment and envy can go away until the next thing comes along. That joy requires appreciation. Joy also requires belief. Truth about God and his work and others. If you're believing false things about God and false things about other people, it will steal your joy. Don't assume things about people. Don't assume things about God. Go to his word. Go to other people. Be asking questions. Read good books. Um, if you're assuming things about other people that you're not quite sure if they're true or not, go to them. If you can go to them, please go to them and, and ask, is, is, this, is this accurate? Is this what you think about me? Is this what's going on? You don't have to do it in a weird way, but sometimes it's necessary uh, within the church because we have a very real enemy that wants to divide and destroy the church and the kingdom of God. And so we want to be on top of that. So joy requires appreciation. It requires correct belief, and it requires connections that we were made to love God and we were made to love others. And I previously alluded to this already, but joy can't grow in isolation. You are made for God and you are made for others. The deepest introvert needs others. The deepest extrovert needs time alone to process these things. But joy requires appreciation, belief, and connections. So if we want that fire of joy to continually burn in our lives, how do we go about it? How do we go about it? How do I think we're learning how we get it started. That's by submitting to, to Jesus and uh, receiving his forgiveness and receiving his spirit and being brought into his kingdom. But how do we have it continually burning? How do we have joy continually burning in our lives? And really the answer is countercultural. And the answer is rest. Rest is how we have the fire of joy continually burning in our eyes. And rest is an intentional choice, really. And it's an intentional choice to submit to how we were made and how we're being remade. Rest allows us an opportunity to truly enjoy God and his gifts. It's an opportunity for you to stop doing. We, we've turned into human doers, haven't we? That we feel like we are what we do and not, not actually being. We're human beings. We're not producers. We're beholders. And we know that because we know the story of how God created everything. After he made everything, he gave humanity a day of rest and you and i can look at this as, as 21st century westerners and say well they weren't even tired yet why would they get a day of rest but it's not about what they've done it's not about what they've done it's about their heart orientation it's about god desiring for for our hearts to be oriented toward him that we understand that we are beloved before we ever do anything because the world tells us that we are our resume. The world tells us that we are not much more than the sum of our accomplishments. And yet God tells us that you are my child. You can't accomplish enough to become a child of God. You can't do enough of the right things and not do enough of the wrong things to impress him in that way because we all have that issue in our, in our heart. But Jesus accomplished perfectly on our behalf. God wants our hearts oriented toward him. See, Jesus gives a lot of good news to our, to our Western world. He gives you a lot of good news to, 
the entire world, but to our Western world that's obsessed with work and busyness and doing. Listen, listen to Jesus' words in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. Also in the workbook, you'll, you'll know if you go into week one that it says Matthew 10, 28, and 30. That's wrong. That's my mistake. It's actually Matthew 11, 28 to 30. So listen to this. Jesus says, Come to me, all who are labor, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is saying everything that I want to give you is rest. It's all grace. It's all grace. Grace requires nothing of you. Rest reminds us that we have a, a name, adopted child of God. You did nothing to be adopted in. You didn't perform well enough. God just looked and said, I will adopt you. I will bring you into my family. And rest, when we're resting, it offers us the opportunity to hand back to Jesus what is rightfully his. Do you feel like you carry the weight of the world on your shoulders? Well, hand it back to Jesus. It's not yours to carry. All the issues that, that you think that you need to take on, you need to shoulder, you need to manhandle or womanhandle your way through, Jesus, Jesus wants to take that from you. You see, it's so easy for us to build a Babel. Now, Babel is a story from the book of Genesis, first book in the Bible, where humanity came together and they decided that they wanted to build this building that reached up into the heavens. And it says in the text, to make a name for themselves. To make a name for themselves. And what that means is that they didn't know who they were. They felt like they had to work to earn a name. And God wanted to give them a name. Where is this pursuit of building Babel and being busy, where is it getting us as a society? Listen to this from Dr. Suzanne Coven. She says, in the past few years, I've observed an epidemic of sorts, patient after patient suffering from the same condition. The symptoms of this condition include fatigue, irritability, insomnia, anxiety, headaches, heartburn, bowel disturbances, back pain, and weight gain. There are no blood tests or x-ray diagnostic of this condition. And yet it's easy to recognize. The condition is excessive busyness. Busyness, excessive busyness is killing us. It's killing us. It's producing, I don't want to downplay uh, mental, mental health, but it's producing anxiety and depression and it's producing high blood pressure and it's producing burnout and it's producing uh, heart attacks and it's producing stress and it's producing all these things that we weren't made for. You see, the busy heart won't find joy. That, that feeling of hurry, it's a sign of a chaotic heart. Here's the thing. You can have a full schedule and not be hurried. I live with a really, really full schedule, packed out. And I have to discipline myself to not feel hurried. Oftentimes I do. Oftentimes I don't, I don't really believe right, that this is true because believing is hearing and doing. But you can have a full schedule and not be hurried. Jesus isn't waiting on you to finish your lap on the relay so that he can get to work. He's been at work. He'll continue to be at work. Listen to, to Mark chapter 6, verse 7 to 13. Jesus commissions his disciples and sends them out. Listen. 
He says, he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them, take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. That's really hard work. That's a lot of work, a lot of stuff happening and going on in that passage. Now listen to this in in verse 30 of Mark 6. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going. They had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves you see jesus jesus calls us to work really hard but to work hard in what he wants what he made us for is what you're doing actually what jesus wants for you is is what you're studying what jesus would desire for you to be studying is where you're working where jesus wants for you to be working work hard in what jesus wants but also rest and commune with him Jesus needed rest. And if Jesus, being God, also man, fully God, fully man, but if he needed to rest and he needed to commune with with God the Father, then how much more so do we need to rest and do we need to commune with him? And when we think about rest, we, we can't think about just individualistic rest. I think that's how we so often think about it. That me as an individual, I need to get alone, I need to climb some mountain, I need to go into some closet, I need to go somewhere where it can just be God and me. But that's not completely true. In the Old Testament, the Sabbath, which is meant to be practiced every week, we'll talk about Sabbath in just a moment, it involved other people. It was a corporate rest that we are to love God and to love others. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to apply this in five different ways in just a second. But rest is really hard work. You might be thinking, okay, that's really silly. You just told me that, you know, there's work and there's rest. But rest is hard work because you're going to be tempted not to rest. You're going to find so many things that don't allow you to rest. And when we talk about resting, I'm not talking about vegging out and watching, you know, three series on Netflix on on a Friday or something. Um, I'm talking about getting out of the the river of life and onto the banks and sitting and enjoying and basking in the goodness of who God is. And you're going to have to fight for it because there's going to be so many temptations to fill up your schedule instead of resting. No one's going to push you into resting. Well, hopefully you do have people around you that will push you into that. We want to be doing that as a church. We want to be pushing our people toward toward fighting together for rest. Because there's no other way to experience profound and lasting joy outside of, outside of that. So how do we rest in him? How do we rest in him? And before I answer that, I just want to say that we're all made with different capacities, limits, and callings. Please don't try and be someone else. Please don't uh, take someone else's habits that they've developed with the Spirit of God and just apply them to, to your own life. Use some of them, but don't, don't be a carbon copy of someone else. So here are the five ways that, there are probably more, but I feel like five is sufficient. And, and all of these are, are going to, you're gonna have opportunity in your workbook to, to work through. The first, first way that we rest in him is every day. How do we rest every day? 
Well, we sleep. We sleep. Did you know that you need sleep? Some of you need to be reminded of that. Sometimes we need to be reminded of simple, silly things, but you need to sleep. The relational circuits that you have in your brain, they shut down without sleep. What do you lose sleep over? What is it that is so big and massive that you lose sleep over? Oftentimes those things have to do with um, false, false worship. They have to do with idols. They have to do with where we're trying to control a situation. And the Lord is trying to tell you, listen, every day let me remind you that you don't have control over yourself, let alone anything else that's going on. Sleep redirects our worship back to God. Sometimes we try and uh, get around sleeping. We try and buck the system. But eventually you'll pay for that. You'll pay for that. So daily, we want to be sleeping. We want to be resting. We want to um, we want to have good habits around that. So do you, do you have a bedtime and do you have a wake-up time? Are they consistent? Um, fight Fight for that as much as you possibly can. I know that we have to stay up late for things. I know that we sometimes wake up intentionally early to do certain things, um, but but we want to make sleep a, a, a sweet 5 to 10, 11 hours. I don't know how long people sleep now. Um, this, this long worship service. Some of you give me a hard time about how long I preach, and I just, I need to give you a hard time of how long you sleep. But anyway, it's a, it's a daily worship service. So how do we rest in him daily? We sleep. How do we rest in him weekly? Well, we develop a Sabbath. Now, don't hear this as a rule, okay? Um, The Sabbath was made for us, that God has given us a day, a 24-hour period of time where we can rest. He's saying you have all permission to rest and to enjoy me, right? Don't fight against this. Some of you want to fight against it because you think that God needs you to work seven days and to push, 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 but that's that's not what he has. It's not what he has. Uh, the pace of Jesus was very methodical and uh, slow at times, really slow, painfully slow, so that his disciples were even saying, like, what are we doing? What are we doing? There's all these people waiting. Why are, why are you off doing something else, and why are we moving on slowly? But Sabbath, we need it. So how do we, how do we create the Sabbath? Well, pick a day. Pick a day that you're going to Sabbath. Um, mine is currently Thursday, 5 p.m. to Friday, 5 p.m. Um, so pick a day, stop working, and make it fun, have it be refreshing. Like ex- find experiences uh, that, that bring you great, great joy. Um, do, do something different on that day. Uh, study, study the Word of God in a different way. Uh, read Read a book on who God is. Uh, read fun books. Uh, watch movies. Uh, go on walks. Take a canoe trip. Um, go ice skating. I'm, I'm thinking about winter now. I don't like to think about winter in July. But um, find, find things to do that are fun and refreshing. And, and prepare for this. Uh, do chores in advance so that on your Sabbath day you're actually able to, to rest. And it brings me to, to the next sub-point of this. Um, Plan as much as you can in advance, if possible, so that when you're on your Sabbath, you're not having to work out, what am I going to do? What's going to be restful? What's not? Think about that a few days in advance, a month in advance. A year, I don't know how deep you want to get into planning. And then as you're experiencing Sabbath uh, things that aren't as restful, 
well, modify them. Don't do some of those things. Um, one of the things I will not do on a Sabbath day is hang things on a wall. We, we lived in, in houses with plaster, and it was near impossible to hang anything on a wall. And that brought me great frustration on my Sabbath. And so I just don't hang things. It's one of those rules that I've developed. Sure, I could hang something if I had to. I'm not breaking any rule, but it might take away from, from my rest. And you might think that's really silly. That's okay. That's why I'm saying we're all made with different capacities, limits, and callings. Don't try and be someone else. Um, so daily we sleep, weekly we Sabbath. Also, I, I want to just say that if you have small kids, it's going to be really hard to Sabbath. You're going to need to invite other people in. And it might not be a 24-hour period that you get. Um, we're just coming into a place where we have, we have four kids. We've had four kids for a while, but 12, 10, 9, and, and 6. And it's been really hard. And we're just seeing this turn where uh, our 6-year-old is, is able to, to rest a little bit more. And so, um, so we're able to Sabbath more than we've been able to, and it's a progressive thing. Um, but if, if you don't have kids um, and you like kids or you like babysitting kids, we'll ask people who do have small kids, when is your Sabbath and how can we, how can we serve you? How can we come alongside you in your, in your rest? Uh, monthly. How do we rest in a monthly? And I put monthly-ish in my notes because I, it's not always a thing that can happen every month. But find a time for silence and solitude. And think about like two to eight hours. And eight hours for some of you are like, oh my goodness, I can't imagine being silent for eight hours. I know. You can still talk out loud. Uh, it's just you being by yourself. Uh, we have something on Right Now Media, which if you don't have a subscription to Right Now Media, uh, please ask us about it because we have one as a church and we'd love to to bring you into that. But we have this little training on silence and solitude. It's like 20 minutes, I think. Um, but it, it prepares you and has a little resource that goes with it so that you're able to go into a day of silence and solitude and really do the deep care um, on your heart and, and life, working with the Spirit of God. And really, it's, it's a day of silence and solitude that I think we should be working on our rule of life. Uh, once a month, I, I get away, and I'm pulling out my my rule of life and saying, how does this fit with my current realities? How does this fit with who I am and what I'm called to be? And then um, during that time of silence and solitude, you implement changes. Why? Why do we keep changing this rule of life? Because we want maximum joy and maximum effectiveness in the kingdom of God. What's coming up in your schedule that's going to be different, right? A transition from summer. We're building these rules rules of life or rule of life um, in the summer. It's going to change in the fall. Life changes. And so you need to be ready to roll with that. And so it's, I'm not a gardener. Um, we can barely keep any plants alive in our house. Uh, but I, I'm told that gardening requires lots of care and getting the weeds out and picking things that shouldn't be in there and you know keeping small animals out. And I would say that's, that's the work of silence and solitude. It's where you get to get in there and get um, fencing around your, your cucumbers or your radishes or your beets or whatever it is that you're trying to grow and to protect for maximum joy and maximum effectiveness in the kingdom of God. So daily we sleep, weekly we Sabbath, monthly we're doing silence and solitude. Yearly you have vacations. Please don't cash out your vacations. Please take them. You need them more than you need that money. And I know we went through a, a very decent amount of time where 
we did not have much money and it was the temptation was to take the money rather than take the vacation but you need rest so much more and i want to say this about vacations please prepare for your vacations well start start slowing down about a week before you take vacation because so many people work 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 and then they hit vacation and then they get super sick they crash because they, they didn't slow down they weren't preparing uh, for vacation well and so please do that i've learned through um, many years of being sick on vacation uh, on how to prepare well take wisdom for this there's no real rules for vacations but i would just say make sure your vacation fits you and and if you have a family your family and make sure that you're if you're married that your spouse wants to do the type of vacation that, that you want to do and that it's restful some of you love going to like a disney world all week long and hitting every single ride that you possibly can um, that sounds horrible to me and so if i were to go and do that which that part does sound fun but not as a vacation it almost sounds like work uh, you should get paid to go and do that not pay to go and do that but if i were to go and do that with my family well, I would need a vacation built in at the back end so that I can actually rest and uh, relax. But on vacations you know, with others, you're going to sacrifice what you want to do for the good of other people as well. So don't be selfish with your vacation. Uh, continue being a servant to others, but, but rest well. Um, who will you connect with on vacation? Um, how are you going to connect with Jesus differently on vacation? Because you, you have more time to be able to do that. All right, so daily sleep, weekly Sabbath, monthly si silence and solitude, yearly, you have vacations. And the last thing I want to mention is sabbaticals. Uh, sabbaticals are, are offered in many jobs now. Um, as a church, all of our pastoral leaders, um, we're mandating every five years that they take a three to four month sabbatical. We work with them. We have a plan that we're working um, with them through. And so we want to make sure that uh, guys aren't burning out um, from the ministry, but they're getting to get out of the ministry and work on their work in their hearts and lives and uh, learn new things and prepare for the next season of ministry. Um, but a sabbatical for anyone is an opportunity to reboot, refresh, and, and learn new, new things. Uh, some of the most creative people in the world do this regularly. They're not constantly working and pushing, pushing. They're thinking about new ideas. They're, they're resting. They're letting their, their brain and their hearts chill so that they can be thinking about, about different ways. Of moving forward so let me sum up everything by saying our rest and joy are signposts they're signposts that point to the kingdom of god the, the way that we rest in joy also signal the way that we understand our position in christ if you can't rest and you have no joy then how are you really connecting with with the father son and spirit because connection with them should produce joy because joy is not based on circumstances. It's based on relationship. For so many, uh, you'd say, uh, I, I'm not religious. I have a relationship. Right. So that relationship should produce joy despite circumstances. It's not a smile your way through everything. Joy, joy can have tears with it as well. But a deep abiding joy is what Jesus came to give to us. And so you're free. You're free to rest. You're free to focus on him. You're free to pursue more joy. You do not need to build your babel. You do not need to build your platform. You are beloved. So take the rest and joy of Jesus to the city. Now I just want to end with this. Please do the hard work of the workbook. 
find someone else to do it with. Oftentimes when we set out to do something all by yourself, um, we don't necessarily accomplish it. But working with someone else and finding someone else to do it with uh, oftentimes brings great success. So find someone to do it with. Uh, we're going to use this rule of life for years into the future as a discipleship tool in the church. And I'm sure we'll change some things about it uh, as we get better at doing this uh, as a church. Um, but this, this rule of life is really going to help us gauge our joy and effectiveness in the gospel. So really looking forward to the rest of this series. And uh, if you need help with any of this, please talk to your location uh, leader or your city group leader. But we want to see Church 21 be a church of great rest, of great joy, and maximum effectiveness in the kingdom of God in this city.